But have you ever just had a, a need, right? Not a want, but a need for something sweet. And you need it right now. You go to Fiesta or you're just, you go to the gas station and you go to the candy aisle, right? And of course, the time of the year, you quickly realize that there are just a lot of ways to go wrong in this aisle. So many things to choose from, right? It's funny because I've had people explain and describe that same experience to me, but use it to describe going to purchase, not candy, but a Bible. John and I went, and there wasn't just a shelf or shelves. There was an entire section of Bibles. Are there any differences? What do they say? Are they all Bibles? You know, I saw a men's study Bible. I'm not really a man, but it looked really intriguing. Is that okay? What's the difference? I've even had people tell me, John, I think I bought the wrong Bible. Because you get to something, and it just seems overwhelming. I mean, my shelf in my office looks empty because I have all my Bibles right here. And these, we still have more at the house. Y'all with me? Just, whoa, are you kidding me? And there's something that happens, a couple things maybe, when we, when we come to that point of figuring out what the Bible is or what it might mean and what I'm going to do with it. And one thing that happens to people is they'll, get, they'll finally pick out the right one or maybe they'll just stick to the one they had and they get to it and they realize, man, there's some funny names in here. Weird spelling and just stuff I don't understand. And so what do they do? I'll let the preacher do that. She'll tell me what it, what's in there or he'll tell me what it's all about. Or another person might say, you know what, I've been going to church for X number of years, been hearing that Bible talked about all the time. I know what's in there. I know what it says. And I know the story. Well, let me address both of those really quickly. If, some, if you're someone who's closed the book because it just, hey, just these names and everything, let me remind you of this. There are people today, people you know, people maybe you work with, people maybe even you've, you've, you've you know, been responsible for or watched grow up who have funny names. Our, our girls get mad at us every once in a while because, Dad, they misspelled our name again. So the same things that we say keep us from looking at this now, we realize it's a part of life. Don't let that deter you. There's still things we don't understand about life. Don't let that keep you from getting this. And if you're someone who says, I've been at church for X number of years, I know what's going on, I'm okay with it, I know what it says, and I'm fine. Let me remind you of this. There are people who have spent their entire life studying and learning and studying and learning rinse and repeat who still feel like they don't have a grasp of what's in here. What I hope to do just a little bit today is to maybe renew or just shake up a little bit the idea that we have about what those books all over there, what the Bible means to us and what it is for us. So as we leave today, perhaps we leave with a, a, a new, not a new insight, but a new passion to discover what God's word means for us 
and what it is for us. And I want to do that by addressing three, I think, misconceptions that, that might block that a little bit. And the first misconception is wrapped up in very familiar words, so familiar that we teach these words to our children, we put it in a pretty little song, and it goes something like this. Help me out if you can. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, you got, you got to finish it right. You got to yell out Bible in case you didn't realize what you spelled, right? Right? Don't yell out telephone book because you just spelled B-I-B-L-E. Now, on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that song, right? It's a children's song. It means something. It's fine. But go just a little bit deeper. I think the misconception is that the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for Let me tell you first, I'm not, I'm not saying there isn't merit in personal devotion and personal reading time. I think there's great merit. I think it's just hard to separate that. It needs to be a part of our lives that we take time on our own to read it, to figure out what it means, to reflect on it, and things like that. But, but, the B-I-B-L-E is not the book for me. Actually, the book for us. You see, when we come together here on a Sunday morning and we read our sacred text, we aren't reading it for me. We are reading it for us. When we start a meeting by reading a scripture passage, we aren't reading that Bible passage for me. We are reading it for us. And sometimes, since we have so many Bibles, since it since it's so easy for me to go by myself, my own Bible, we sort of get, just sort of makes sense that, yeah, you know, the Bible is the book for me. And really, it's never been the book for me. It's always been the book for us. It's only been in recent times that it's even been affordable for someone to be able to go and get a printed copy of the Bible. It's only in recent history, world history, that people have been able to read the Bible for the most part of our world's history, at best 10% of the population have been able to read, period. So there were no family Bibles, there were no pew Bibles, there was no daily Bible reading for living at home. This was a book for us. Listen again to the words that Paul gives to Timothy that we read. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writing. See, somebody or some bodies made the sacred text sacred, made it a part of their lives and thus made it a part of Timothy's life too. It wasn't a book for Timothy. It was a book for he and his family and most likely his religious community. It is not a book for me. It is a book for us. Many times people ask me, John, is it possible to be a Christian and not go to church? I would say it is possible to believe in God, to love God, to know God walks with you, 
and not go to church. I believe you can be Christ-like in your actions and in your words, the things you do with your life, and not be in the church. I don't think, however, you can live a Christian life outside of the church. Because this isn't a book for me, it's a book for... And so much of this, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about... So when we read the New Testament, for example, so many of the problems that are being addressed are problems of community. Somebody or somebody's haven't learned what it means to live in community. So then leads me to believe that it is impossible to live a Christian life with the idea of Christian community outside of the church. Because it's not a book for me. It is a book for us. Another misconception I think sometimes we have that the Bible is a book of rules. It's a holy, if you will, rule book. And I don't know, and I don't believe that's entirely accurate at all. Let me show you a rule book. This is a rule book. The Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church. This is a rule book. This has got plenty of rules in it. Shows us how shows us how every local congregation in the United Methodist Church is supposed to conduct its ministry, its business. If I were to happen to go against the rule in here, either by teaching or by action or by anything else, you can guarantee that in a few days I would probably get a call from Dr. Clara Reed, our district superintendent, and she would ask me, John, what's going on? You know the rules, don't you? See, this is a rule book. This is not. The funny things about Funny thing about rules, one of them anyway, is that rules change, don't they? Rules almost have to change. See, here is a book of discipline of the, Met- not even the United Methodist Church. We weren't even united back in 1956. The discipline of the Methodist Church. 1956. Here's a book of discipline from 1984, all 769 pages of it. Here's a book of discipline from 1976, 664 pages. You realize we've gone up in page numbers. Now we're at 2008, 857 pages of rules. Friends, this is a rule book. This is not. Now I'm not saying anything bad against rules. Rules are good. Rules have a purpose. Rules help us function, help us do things. But when we limit the Bible as being a holy rule book miss on so much of the treasure that is in there. And the third misconception I think many people have is that the Bible is a way or is the way we stay out of H-E double hockey sticks. If I can just learn what it says here, here, or maybe here, if I can memorize it, if I can write it and put it on my refrigerator, if I can get a bumper sticker out of it, and if I can just have that, I'm home free. 
all the other stuff, well, okay, you read that, but as long as I have this, I'm okay. It's all I need to know, and I'm fine with that. That's not what that book is either, I don't think. And, and the problem is, when we have these misconceptions and when we, when we don't realize that we sort of live into them and become them, then if this is a book for me, um, this isn't a, 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 a revelation of God. It becomes a self-help book. Oh, let me read the Bible so I can learn how to be a better person. Remember last week we said our faith doesn't make us better. It makes us new. Or even if we think this is just our rule book, this becomes a glorified manual. And that's not what a self-help book or a rule book is not what William Tyndale gave his life for. Most of us probably aren't familiar with William Tyndale. He lived 500 years ago. But what you don't realize is most of our English translations, some of the translations and versions we hold on so dearly to, King James and the Geneva Bible and all those come from William Tyndale's work. He translated the Hebrew and Greek scriptures into the English language that we've used to base even the languages, the, the version that you have in your pew Bibles today. Now, what you have to realize is that William Tyndale had the audacity to think that the people, you, people who came and sat in the pews, had the, should have the opportunity to experience the power of God by reading this. And just because he had that thought, that put him at odds with people who wore dresses to church. Because the people who wore dresses says, no, I need to read that so I can tell you what it says. Y'all with me? You see how that might be advantageous for one of us but not the other of us? And William Tyndale said, no. Everybody should have access to the power of God through that book. And so he began, long, inspiring story short, he began his work to translate the Bible into English, which is what most of us read here today, isn't it? And because he was at odds with the church hierarchy, he had to do it in secret. So I can see him being in a small cave somewhere sometimes and hiding under a candle doing his work, doing most of his work at night because if he was at his office, people can come in, find out what he's doing. And that's how he did his work. And what did it get him? Well, in the end, he was betrayed by a friend and handed over to the authorities where he was arrested, spent 500, 500 days in prison for doing this before he was ultimately put onto a stake, strangled, and then burned. Because he had this goofy thought that you should have the opportunity to witness and experience the power of God found in this book. And what's sad is so many of us close the book instead of experiencing that power. His last words on the stake before he was killed was, oh, that the king's eyes would be opened. And that prayer came true several years later because the king authorized new versions to be made in the common languages. And while that prayer came to be, 
part of my prayer, and I think many, the prayers of many of us, is that, oh, that our eyes would be opened too, so that we could learn to live in that as well. And sometimes we, we look at somebody like William Tyndale and we think, well, John, we're just not there anymore. Somebody had to do that before, but that's not the situation now. Well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't. But either way, we have to figure out how we will respond and what we will do with that text as well. Because even today, where so much of our life is, for us anyway, comfortable, easily accessible, you can go buy whatever Bible you want as soon as we got out of, get out of here in church this morning. But for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, I want you to think about uh, a particular tribal people somewhere around the world who have their own copy of their Bible. And you know how they read their Bible? Together they read their Bible like this, under a flashlight, in the dark somewhere, because to read that Bible in public or to have someone walk in on you and your church reading that Bible is not only illegal, but it's punishable. And yet many of us have just closed the book. And I also think about the 86-year-old man who lives in a foreign country from ours who tells the story of being awoken one night by a mob of people. We know how many people were there. But they woke him up demanding that he go against his faith and renounce his faith in Christ, something he didn't do. And because he didn't do it, they beat him. And because he didn't do it again, they beat him again. And when he ultimately still did not denounce his faith in Christ, they threw him down a hill where he landed in a huge thorn bush and left him for dead. But of course, I read his story that he contributed to, so he's not dead. In fact, the, the picture that they have has him holding on to his Bible, and it's so powerful to me is that he can't read the words of his language. And even if he could read it, he's, he's almost blind and he can't see them. But he holds it. just so he can kiss it. Because he knows this isn't a rule book. This isn't a self-help book. It isn't a get-out-of-hell-free card. But there is life in this book. So is that church growing? I don't know. What do they think about this? What do they do with it? How important is it? And what does it mean for them? I hope that you would come to know, if you don't already, that yes, it can be overwhelming to go to the candy store, the bookstore, and try to figure out which one to get. But, but think about that moment when you find the one you've been looking for and you take that first taste. It's kind of like what the psalmist says, that these words are like honey on my lips. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, loving God, here it is, who you are, who you want us to be, right here in front of us.
Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us. And help us and teach us to learn to live more, to make this a part of who we are, to learn to live in the love and the mercy and justice that you display by your word, drawing us closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.